Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastside.co. Man, I love Easter. The biggest reason I love Easter is because in 1988, I got saved on March the 20th, and I believe that that was just a few, a week or so before Easter. And so I got to experience my first Easter in 1988, and uh, it was amazing. You know, the, the coming of, to life of the trees and the flowers, and I don't have allergies, so it didn't bother me not one bit. For those of you who do suffer with them, I graciously... Glad it's not me, and maybe you could pray through and get rid of that sin in your life and get rid of that stuff. <laughs> I just won half the audience right there. <laughs> just kidding. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 if you got your Bibles. Brandon kind of hit on the, on the scripture that I'm going to start with. Do, do, do you guys, like, do y'all, during Easter week, do y'all think about what Jesus was doing that day? That's a fantastic thing to, for me to do. I, I just really love going, well, it's, well, it's Monday. You know, it's Sunday. Lazarus was raised from the dead. This is Monday. This is Tuesday. What was Jesus doing on Tuesday? Wednesday, nothing really happened. Thursday, what happened Thursday? What happened Friday? And because I've been to Israel and been in the in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, it's, it's, it's an incredible thought to think about what Jesus was going through before he, he was arrested and, and beaten. Oftentimes when we think about Easter, and we, we think about the brutality of the crucifixion. And we think that somehow that Jesus was punished, and he was. He was bruised for our iniquities. You know, we know that, that all those things are true. But we, we have this bent, most of us, and I've heard this several times over the last few weeks, that, that he, had, he had to go. He was forced. It was, it was something that Jesus just had to do. There was no getting around it. And that is true. But it has this negative context like, like uh, he didn't want to but he did anyway. Or that somehow that somehow he was miserable doing it. Anybody ever thought that way or felt that way when it comes to the brutality of the crucifixion? Is, is, is it just me or is it everybody else? Is, you thinking that way? But look at what Look at what Paul writes as he writes in Hebrews in chapter 12. He, he's encouraging believers, encouraging the church, and he says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great, uh, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which would so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want to propose some things about Easter and about what was going through the mind of Christ as we gather this scripture, as we look at a few things, as we see what Jesus was dealing with, I want to hopefully change some perspective about the attitude of Christ towards you. Because it says this, 
that we should run with endurance the race that is set before us as the church, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, say that with me, for the joy that was set before him. Should we say that one more time? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So that means that if he was looking with joy at what was set before him, his focus wasn't the cross. It was because of his joy that, was, that he could see the future and what was set before him that he endured the cross. Man, that's majorly different. That, that's like huge different, isn't it? Jesus looked at his mission and had great joy. And because of what he saw, he endured the cross. He despised the shame that was set before him, and he sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. Amen? Okay, turn with me to Luke, chapter 24. I'm going to start with verse 19. This is two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus. Now, this is Easter Sunday morning. This is Resurrection Sunday. Say that, Resurrection Sunday. I love this thought. The story goes as written by the physician Luke. Now, behold, two of the disciples were traveling that same day, the day of the resurrection, to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And so they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're heading toward Emmaus, the day of the resurrection. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk with sadness as you walk and you're you're filled with sadness and then the one whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened here in the last few days modern English where you been man where you been? Are you the only one in the city that doesn't know what's going on? Have you not watched the news for heaven's sake? I mean, it's on everybody's phone. There's <laughs> a news alert. I mean, it was obvious that it was throughout Jerusalem, and, and they were saddened by it. And he said to them, what things? And they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And a certain of those who was uh, with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Say, in all that the prophets have spoken. Do it again. In all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? If you've got verse 26, you need to underline that. What he's saying is, didn't the Christ have to do this? Don't you know? Didn't you know? You should have known that the Christ was going to have to suffer these things. You should have known. It's, it's written all in the Word. And beginning at Moses, in all the prophets, he expounded to them in all that the Scriptures said concerning himself. And then the disciples' eyes were open as they drew near the village, and he left them. And so, let me just give you some context, and let's bring this thing to life a little bit. This is a friend, and we don't know who, who exactly the second guy is, but these are folks who are hanging out with the 12 disciples. How do we know that they're hanging out with the 12 disciples? Well, they know the story of Mary and Mary running to the tomb and discovering that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? They know that story. They know that the two ran back to tell the disciples. And they know that Peter and John ran to the tomb and found it as the women said. They've experienced these things. They, they know these things are true. And they're saddened because they don't have understanding. Because Jesus was cru crucified. And they didn't realize for some reason, that he had to be crucified before he would be king of the world, before he would come back and the government would be upon his shoulders. They, they missed that particular aspect of the Old Testament account of the Messiah. And so they're saddened because they thought Jesus was Messiah. And Jesus says, man, you should know that. Then he says, your hearts are slow, and they're hard, and they, they just they don't believe. And then he begins to walk through the Word of God with them to explain to them how the Word of God reveals who he is. You should have known. Didn't you know? You should have known. Why? Because I gave it to you. Here it is. You should know. If you could see the church now, do you think 
he might be thinking the same thing. You should know. The neat thing about Jesus and about this Emmaus Road account is it's convicting, but it's not condemning. Because Jesus didn't just stop with the idea that you should know. He began to walk them through the scriptures so that they would have understanding. He began to move them through the word of God so that they would know what Messiah, who Messiah was and what it meant. Now listen, I'm going to tie these two things together. I think it's incredibly important for us as believers in this culture to grasp this idea. Jesus endured the cross with joy because of what he saw. Well, what did Jesus see? What did he see for the church? What did he see for you and me? He didn't see the cross because you never see him really concerned about the cross except in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before. In the Garden of Gethsemane the night before, he sweat blood. He was so stressed out. But other than that, he knew before the foundation of the world that he was going to be crucified. He knew that he was going to bear the weight of sin for you and me. He knew that. You see, what he was looking for was not the glory. Because he left glory. It's not the first time that he had experienced glory. He left glory and his kingship. He was God before the crucifixion and before the resurrection. He was in the Old Testament. He was prophesied. He was at the creation of the world. He was there. He spoke it into existence. He didn't need glory. He already had glory. So what he was looking for was not... The joy that, it, that just stirred in him was not what he was going to accomplish for himself. The joy that stirred him up was what was going to be open for you. <laughs> what, what was going to be available for you because he knew that if you would get what was in this book, if you would know his intent for you, then, then unbelievable, unimaginable, exceedingly abundantly above all that you could imagine a thing would be open to you if you'll just be ready to receive it. Amen. He says to you and me, I died and was raised, and I did it with joy because what's available to you. Let's look real quickly at how I can prove this through Scripture. Every bit of Scripture, including, including what Moses wrote, bears witness to the Christ. To Jesus. John in chapter 5, verse 39, 46 says, You search the scriptures, he's talking to the religious leaders of the day, because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
And, and it is they that bear witness about me. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, Jesus says. All the scriptures are about Jesus Christ, even if they're not, there's no explicit uh, prediction about certain things. In Luke chapter 24, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted the scriptures. We just read the things concerning himself. And so even if they weren't itemized exactly pointing to that particular thing, he satisfied every predicted scripture about the Messiah. Jesus came to fulfill everything that was written. He said about himself, I didn't come to take away anything that's in the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I hadn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot, not a punctuation mark will pass from the law until every bit of it's accomplished. And Jesus came to accomplish that. All the promises of God in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And the whole Bible talks about that. But it even gets better than that. The Scripture tells us about it. But when Jesus comes and, and he sees his mission from God, he doesn't see and he doesn't focus on the cross. What he focuses on is Isaiah 61. Because when he's calling to his ministry, and really the first day that he acknowledges the fact that he's calling to the ministry, not the day that he had the encounter with John, not the day that, that, that the Holy Spirit comes upon him, but the day that he's standing in the little synagogue in Nazareth. It's a little bitty synagogue. I've actually been in it. It's not as big as this room. It probably is, a, is as big as the bottom section right here, made of stone. And it's, it's no higher than this ceiling. It's kind, of, it's kind of an interesting feel as you go in. But Jesus stands up and he proclaims that he came to heal the brokenhearted. That he came to set the captives free. That he came to loose those who are in prison. That he came to heal the sick. That he came to raise the dead. Yeah. And he says to them, this day, the scripture is fulfilled. Yes, but it's more than that. Think about just, I've got to think about this, y'all. This is, this is just challenging to me as well. Don't think that preachers aren't challenged. You should know these things. You should know these things about God. You should believe them. But you don't because you're slow, because you're not, you're not going after it. You're not pursuing it. It's not important enough to you. And so when you find yourself in tough situations, you don't know. Paul says, Paul says in Philippians, he says, not that I've arrived 
or been made perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But this I do. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I, I, I go after the reason that Jesus came after me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind me, and I strain toward what is ahead. I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't focus on the cross. He focused on the result. Of the cross. And he said about you and me that we're going to face tribulation. And I think this road to Emmaus, and I think the whole attitude of Jesus is written so that we can know that we need to press toward the high calling of Christ Jesus. We need to know that the mission is going to be difficult. That it's not going to be easy. That it's going to take us out of our comfort zone. But we don't need to be focusing on those things that are hard. We need to focus on the results of what we'll do, what will happen if we're obedient to the calling of Christ. How many of you know that you're going to get made fun of if you're a believer? How many of you know that you're going to be shut down if you're a believer? How many of you know that, that people are going to Think that you're ignorant if you believe and are bold about your belief in Christ. The world thinks you're stupid. But I don't focus on what the world thinks. What I focus on is the mission that God has given me so that I can see the result that God wants me to attain. Does that make sense? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It says this, don't you realize that everybody that runs a race runs a race to win the prize? Don't you realize that in a race, people run to win? And so as you, as you walk in your faith life, as you walk in the things of God, what you need to do is run to win. Say that with me. Run to win. Why did Jesus die on the cross? So that we could have the results of the cross. So that we could be free. So that we would no longer be in prison. So that we could prosper in what we could do. So that we would have the wisdom of God. He knew that those things were going to be available. And so he endured the cross. He made himself a little lower than the angels. And he came and he suffered and he died so that we could have the benefits of children. Of adopted children. Run the white race to win. So what does that look like? Let's just think in a perfect world, just for a minute, in a perfect world where the church really had revelation. where that most of the believers in the congregation that sit in the seats on Easter Sunday morning would know what was written in the book. They would know the nature of God. They would know the character of God. They would know the motives of God. They would know everything about him. They would understand that they are children of God, that they are loved by God and that they're the favorites of God. 
and that the anointing of God is upon them. And that the prosperity of the kingdom of God and every spiritual gift is available to them. Let's just say in a perfect world, in a perfect church, that the church began to operate in the power of God. How would things be different? Would things be different in our world, you think, in our country, in the United States of America, if we had understanding and we believed? I think things would be different. I think they'd be incredibly different. So Jesus withstood the cross so that the, he endured it because of the joy that he saw available. So let's just go over that real quick. What's available to you and me? The first thing is salvation. He rescues us. He rescues us from the power of sin. Listen to me. Sin no longer has power over you. If you're a believer. Say that with me. Sin no longer has power over me. Say that again. Sin no longer has power over me. Unless I give it to it. Unless I give it to sin. Unless I stay in it. But Jesus came to give us power over sin. And death. Death no longer has power over you. You're no longer restricted to the grave. There are many cemeteries that are going to lose their dead one day. And they're going to be raised. Bodies are going to come up. That's going to be interesting in it. In Israel, on the Mount of Olives, there's nothing but tombs waiting on Messiah. It's the most amazing thing. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of tombs and boxes full of bones waiting on Ezekiel's prophecy of the resurrecting of the dead. And Jesus said, I've conquered death in the grave. Amen. But there's more than that. Listen. He says, he knows that if he dies on that cross and if he's raised from the dead and if he goes to the Father, then you are going to have the fullness of God through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I just messed you up on Easter, didn't I? Jesus says, I'm going to send the fullness of God and make it available to all who believe because I'm the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Right? That's joy. He's like, wow. Wow, they're going to get the fullness of God. They're going to get everything available. They're going to get spiritual gifts. They're going to get wisdom that can only come from heaven. They're going to see things as God saw, sees them because they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that roamed over the deep when Jesus spoke that Everything be brought in order is living in you and me if Jesus dies on the cross. The joy he endured, the cross, because of the joy that he saw that would be available for you and me. He saw that we could speak to this mountain and it would be made like a plane and it would fall into the ocean. That you can move things because the fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. 
He knew what was going to be available to believers. And he was like, wow, God's going to be poured out on you. And the question for the church is do we believe? Do you not know? Why do you find yourself in the place you are, saddened by your circumstances, defeated by what's around you? Do you not know? Did you not know that when the Christ died and rose again, you would no longer be limited. That you would be full or have the availability of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Did you not know that you no longer would have to be burdened by addiction? That the sins of your forefathers no longer would have an effect on you if you would break those things by the power of the resurrected Christ? then they no longer have rule over you. There are so many people in the room that need to break generational sin that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And Jesus looked with joy and said, Don't you know? I took care of that. I took care of that. That no longer has to affect your life. You can be free. I came to set the captives free. Captive to what? Captive to generational sin. What can man do to you? Nothing. Because you serve God. And the power of God lives in you. Do you believe? Didn't you know? Wow. You know what? I'm your pastor. I feel like I'm getting to know. Right? Don't you, Brandon? You're getting to know, aren't you? We're becoming what God wants us to be. As we understand, as we see who God is, as we learn his word, as we study it, as we prioritize it, he reveals who he is to us and who we are in him and what's available to you and me as we go in this life as believers. But on the road to Emmaus, these gentlemen lost hope because they didn't know, and it was made available. This is Easter, and we're going to have the largest attendance that this church has ever had today. And I praise the Lord for that. But you know what makes would fill me with joy? If we had a group of believers who begin to believe, who would begin to know what was made available at the cross, what Jesus really did for you and begin to live in that. Jesus says to you, every one of you who believes, every one of you that is in covenant with him, that has received him as Lord, I have a plan for you, says the Lord. A plan to prosper you. Say that. I plan to prosper you and not to harm you. A plan to give you a 
hope and a future. How? By grace. By my power working in you, they can do exceedingly abundantly more than you can do on your own. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Do you believe? Man, what a message of Easter. Do you believe? Yes. Do you want to move forward in your belief? Do you want to be becoming what Christ made available to you? Yes? That's the message of Easter. That we're becoming something. What are you becoming? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you becoming more open to heavenly things? Are you becoming open to the mission that God has for you? Are you running the race to win? Are you pressing on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? I want to hear one more thing. When I hear people ask me, I just, I just wish, I just wish I knew the will of God for my life. I hear that all the time, everybody. You hear it constantly in Christian. There's so many books by it, and there's so much out there about it, written by Christians. Because it's always about who's going to be my wife, Husband, what kind of job or career am I going to have? Do I have to? Do, what's the will of God for me in this, in this, in this job? Now, I'm not belittling the fact that God cares about the details. He does care about the details. But he doesn't. This is what he says. You work. And when you work, you work as unto the Lord. Even if you're a slave. Listen, this is not warm and fuzzy preaching. Marry somebody, but don't marry somebody who doesn't believe. But if you can't control your passion, then get married. Who? Somebody who believes. Well, what about my career or what I should do. Work. If you don't work, you don't eat. You ready? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. Because I made them available at the cross. I endured the cross for this joy I have, for the possibilities I have in you if you'll seek me, if you'll become like me, if you'll discover who I am, if you'll run the race to win, if you'll seek the prize, healing, deliverance. Breaking chains of generations. Bringing prosperity to every area of your life. That's the Easter message. God is good.
it is good news. And he has good plans for you. If you would adhere to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, please visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.